So today's scripture is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has come. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I just come before you today in the name of Jesus. I just want to thank you so much for this time. God, I thank you that you have blessed us with this simple message of reconciliation that you've not only given to us, but Lord, that you've imparted to us to give share with others. So Father, I pray that you would occupy this time and for the glory of your name, Father, I pray, God, that you would just say whatever you want to say through me and into our hearts, God, so that we could look more like you in real ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all could be seated. All right, we got good levels now, gentlemen. Are we good? Awesome. If you could turn me up just a smidge, I think, uh, although I got a big mouth. If you don't know who I am, Joe did not lose his hair between last month and this month. Um, I serve, and my wife, we serve under Pastor Joe's leadership, and uh, it's so cool to follow a guy like Joe. Um, if anybody loves Manitou and loves Christ, it's that guy, and that's a guy I'm willing to follow. Um, so anyway, uh, my wife and I, so my wife is Sarah. She was the beautiful one in the middle here leading the worship, and we get to call Manitou Springs our home and our community. The town, of course, the church, we're a part of the church, but we live here, and we love the people and the city of Manitou Springs. And uh, I got to tell you, though, um, before we came to Manitou, which is really recent. Uh, we moved here in August of last year. We lived in San Antonio for close to 22 years. Um, and uh, yeah, so while we lived there, and like the community that we lived in, can I just be honest with you just right off the bat and tell you we weren't that great of neighbors? And what I mean by that is it's not like people were calling the HOA on us, you know, for having loud parties or, you know, using a toilet as a planter for the front yard. You know what I mean? It wasn't issues like that. It's just we weren't good neighbors, and, and I'm, I want to explain that. Basically, we were the type of neighbors, because so Sarah and I are both self-proclaimed introverts, believe it or not. You're like, how could he talk up there? It's different. I'm just, I don't know how to explain it. But we're, we're self-proclaimed in introverts, and so here's how we would have been your neighbor back in San Antonio. We would be walking up our driveway. We would see you and make contact, eye contact, and we'd go, hey, how you doing? Great to see you. And we would go right in our house. That was the type of neighbors we were. And some of you are like, oh, you sound like a dream. But, for, but here's the thing. That's not the type of neighbors we're called to be. And so when Sarah and I moved here to Manitou, God did something in our spirits. We're like, we love the people of Manitou Springs. 
and we want to get to know them. Whether we will ever see eye to eye on every single thing is not the point. These are our neighbors, and so God has been really doing a lot of work in our lives, and so in this particular issue, so I just wanted to share with you some of the things that God has shown me through and Sarah through the course of discovering what does it really mean to be a neighbor. You know, here's the thing. What's even worse is I was a pastor. So while the majority of the time we lived in San Antonio, I was a pastor. And so what I would do is I would stand up here like this, hold a microphone and tell you guys how you should be neighbors to those in your community. And I felt because I was telling you to do it, I was doing my job. And so there was an integrity gap in my understanding of what a real neighbor meant. And so I think if my neighbors had a scorecard, they wouldn't be able to mark down anything that was tangible that somehow translated to that next step and what it means to love your neighbor. They felt liked, but they weren't loved by us. And so I contrast that, though, with, with the scripture that Sarah just read in 2 Corinthians where it says that we are God's ambassadors. That means we are representatives, and ambassadors typically cross cultural lines for the representation of the person that they're representing, right? And, and so we are Christ ambassadors. We represent God. And that's a lot of pressure. But we're these new creations in Christ. So not only have we been given this new life and we're a new creation, we are then sent out as ambassadors. Not just hyper guys with microphones standing on a Sunday afternoon, but all of us are called to be that. Why? Because God has chosen us as his sole method of sharing the good news of his love with other people. It's us. That's it. And so others can experience this simple love. And so what God has been showing Sarah and myself as relatively new residents of this beautiful town, Manitou Springs, is one of the most powerful ways that we're learning to express God's love to other people. And one of the most real and powerful ways to do this is going to be manifested through what I call practical compassion practical compassion. And the truth is, in order to be effective ambassadors for God, in order for us to earn the right to be heard, and this message of come back to God is actually received, we have to love first. We have to start with loving our neighbor with no strings attached, with no agenda. Whether they ever come to our church or not is not the point. That's not what God is calling us to. He's not calling us to invite people to an address. He's calling people back to himself and using us as the chosen method. Does that make sense? And so we have to really begin to broaden our scope for those of us like me who kind of struggle and have struggled in the past for decades with what does it mean to truly love your neighbor? It's loving your neighbor in a way that earns the right to be heard. Anyway, if you read the Gospels, you really can't go very far without seeing Jesus himself expressing what I'm talking about, this practical compassion, right? You can't go very far without seeing Christ showing compassion on people that he interacted with, and he wasn't even just showing compassion to those that he knew, his, the disciples, the, his family members. These were people, he had compassion on people he had never met before, right? We see this, and he had compassion on strangers and sinners and prostitutes and thieves and lawbreakers. He even had compassion on those that were torturing his body, set to kill him on the cross. He even had compassion for them. So this goes beyond just being nice to our husbands and, and wives and children. This is not what the Bible is talking about here. There's a whole other level of compassion that translates and transcends 
all of our differences, all the things that would typically keep us divided within our community. This type of compassion transcends that. Jesus said as he was on the cross, Father, what? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Talk about compassion. He was worried about the judgment that would come against them. Father, forgive them. That's an amazing compassion, and that's a Savior I'm willing to follow. In Matthew 9, it says that Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he would have compassion on them. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I'm discovering one of the quickest ways that you could tell if someone's a true follower of Jesus isn't based on how much they know, but how they live and by the level of compassion they have towards those not like them. 2 Corinthians 1 explains that if we've been comforted and we've experienced the compassion of God, 1 Corinthians says that we're able then and empowered to give comfort and compassion to others. Look what scripture says. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. This is a comfort-filled verse. But it's this reciprocal expression of comfort in our time of need. We then are able to show that same grace and and compassion and comfort to those who God puts across our path. You see, this is when the gospel begins to look real in us. It's not just saying, hey, I'll pray for you, brother. Hope you do well. No, this is getting involved in people's lives. It means that we become real neighbors, real neighbors. I believe it was Pastor Brady that said this. He said, those who've been rescued make the best rescuers. Have you been rescued? Isn't that what we just sang about? It's this rescue, but if we've been rescued and saved, it's so that we turn around and join the mission of God and join what he's doing so that we go and rescue others. Why? Because we know what it feels like to be rescued, right? So as a, a true rescuer, by any context, is a person of compassion. And, and so those who have been rescued, there's another verse that it says this. It says, because of the beauty of the cross, because we've been rescued, this now empowers us to then put on, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, what does it say? I hope it's up there. What kind of hearts? That was so weak, Manitou. Oh, my gosh. So I I like interactive preaching. So what type of hearts are we being told we have permission to put on? Okay, so if it's compassionate hearts, that follows kindness and humility and meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. There's a story that's found right in the middle of Luke chapter 10. And if you got your Bibles, you can open it or you can follow on on the screens, but Basically, here's the abbreviated version of the story. There's a religious leader who approaches Jesus, okay? Now, what you have to understand about this religious leader is he's an expert that knew the law of Moses inside and out, okay? He was, we would see him as an attorney that was an expert on constitutional law. Does that make sense? So this guy, what he would do, his job would be able to take the laws of Moses given by God and then interpret them and explain them to people who didn't understand what the laws meant, okay? 
So this guy has a great deal of knowledge and understands the law of Moses. So he goes up to Jesus and he approaches Jesus and he says this, the lawyer does. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, knowing who this guy was, he asked this lawyer a question instead. Jesus turns it around on him. He said, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? What's your interpretation? And he wasn't being smart with the guy. He's engaging him because he understood the guy's background and grasp on the law of Moses, right? What the lawyer does is he responds by right off the top of his head quoting Deuteronomy 6.5, which is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. Then he jumps over to Leviticus 19.18 and says, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what the law, the, the guy who knows the law of God, this is what he says. You know what Jesus tells him? Gold star, you're right. You nailed it. He says, do this and you will live. But here's where human nature comes in. We got to know where that line is because we don't want to have to do one inch more of anything for God than we have to in order to get the blessings and go to heaven, right? This is what the guy says. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, um, and who, in fact, is my neighbor, though? Who's my neighbor? And in true form, the lawyer tries to split hairs by asking, where exactly does my responsibility in this whole loving my neighbor business fall? Can you, can you tell me where that line is? But isn't that us? Don't we immediately, we read scripture, we see the word of God, and instead of allowing it to liberate us, we try to put it in a box and go, okay, so what's my role, what's my part, so I don't have to worry about nothing else, right? We do that. So like us. The question, who is my neighbor? And it's really an attempt by this guy to limit his responsibility. Well, this is what Jesus says. He doesn't answer him. He tells him a story instead. He said a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. So Jesus is telling this guy this story. And the guy's like, okay, right? Now, the story really builds on a very common situation. And so what you have to understand is the road between Jericho and Jerusalem was about a 17-mile journey. And, and this road was a dangerous one. It was a very dangerous one. And so it was lined with these caves. And so bandits and robbers would hide out. And so as you're traveling along, you're just praying you can get through that 17 miles without losing your life or getting robbed. Okay? So Jesus is painting this picture. So this is very common at the time. And knowing that this road is really dangerous, it would be like us walking through the most dangerous street here in Colorado Springs with a sack of cash around 2 in the morning right? It's the same type of thing. You're inviting danger. And so in this story, there's a Jewish man who's been robbed and severely beaten. This is what Jesus is painting here. But listen to what he says. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up. They left him half dead beside the road. Jesus then says, oh, but then by chance a priest comes along. Right? And if you look at the actual Greek, what it suggests is that Jesus is saying that somehow a good, a hint of good fortune has come this man's way because a priest, it's like a pastor, of course, when he sees this man lying in a ditch and beaten up and half dead and naked and all the rest of these things, surely the priest would help by some stroke of good fortune, yes. But when he saw the man lying there, Jesus said, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Okay, 
how many of y'all see a contradiction in this priest in the way that he's living out his life as a neighbor, right? We're already beginning to see holes in this story. But a temple assistant, which was basically a worship leader, oh, thank goodness, he walks over. Not only does he walk over, he looks at the guy. Now think about that for a second. And he goes, dude, stinks to be you, man. How often, maybe we're not as heartless as the first guy. We see someone in need, we just, whoa. We just, but maybe we see people in need and hurting and we go, man, stinks to be you, right? But he doesn't do anything either, either and he passed on the other side. So here's, listen to this. There's these two men, these two guys that represent the church and God as God's ambassadors. They're full-time ministers, and you see this man in need, and not the only thing that they've got to do is reach out, help, but they avoid instead, and they keep going. Can I be honest with you guys? What you're going to learn as you get to know me, I really don't hold anything back because I think you deserve my honesty, and I hope that our church has a culture of transparency. None of us have this together. I will tell you, as a pastor in San Antonio most days, this is exactly what I would have done. So yes, we look the part. We sing all the songs and worship with harmonies and everything, nailing it. We've got the K-Love sticker and the Way FM sticker on the back of our minivans. We are professional Christians. But when push comes to shove, we wave at our neighbors, or worse yet, we turn a blind eye to their pain and their need, whether it benefits any... We just turn a blind eye, and we keep going. And sadly, as I've gotten to know the amazing residents of Manitou Springs, when the word Christian comes up, one of the very first words that comes into their mind involuntarily is a word hypocrite. Christians are hypocrites. And you know what? Most of the time, they're 100% right. It's because they see how we are supposed to live. And the things that we talk about and yell into microphones on Sunday, but we don't live it out. And so they look at that, they go, you're fake, you're phony, and you're hypocrite, and we are guilty of that. Here's the thing. We have an opportunity here because the concrete is still wet is the way that I put it. This is a new church. This is only the third time we've ever met. It is up to us, the reputation we have here in Manitou, and our submission to God and our willingness to put away our old ways of doing ministry and our old ways of doing church to go, what does God want to do here? But not just in this room, not just through a goosebump, but through our behavior, through our motives, and through our heart, because that's what's going to set the tone for what we do here or not do here in this town. It reminds me of a shirt that my wife got when she was 13 for Christmas, Seeing these guys who are real religious, but they don't, when a push comes to shove, they don't do anything, guys like me. And <laughs> she, we were driving, this is about two or three years ago, we were driving by one of the biggest malls in San Antonio. And I was like, man, I can't believe Christmas is almost here. And I was like, what kind of presents did you, what was like your favorite present when you were a teenager growing up? And she's like, oh, she's sharing with me. What was the worst present? She said, well, there was this one time. Oh, my gosh, right? It's one of those kind of stories. She said, there's this one time. She said, I grew up in a house where, no name brands were allowed, okay? That was kind of like a principle of her mom. She's like, no name brands, young lady, right? And so Christmas is rolling around. This is what, 85, 86, something like that. And for the children of the 80s like us, 
back in around that time, there's about a two-year period of time where there was these polo shirts that were Coca-Cola polo shirts. Does anybody remember those? Okay, myself, Sarah, and one lady in the back. Okay, great. So these Coca-Cola polo shirts were the thing to have. But here's the thing. They were really expensive. And they were like 80 bucks or something like that, if I remember right. And back in 1986 money, that equivalent is like $4,000 now. So it was very expensive, and you couldn't find them anywhere. Sarah is asking her mom, can I have a Coca-Cola shirt? Her mom's like, no, we're not a name brand family. Okay. Christmas rolls around. It's just like the Christmas story. It wasn't a Red Ryder BB gun, but under the tree, one of the last presents Sarah opened, she opens the box, and guess what was in there? Coca-Cola polo shirt. You've got to be kidding me. And it's like, you know, the, the heavens shone down upon Sarah, and she immediately had favor with the Lord because she had this Coca-Cola. Like, it was an act of God. It had to have been. So what you do, first day back to school, what do you do? You wear all your newest, coolest stuff. And so she's 13. you got to understand this, okay? So she goes back to school. She's wearing the Coca-Cola shirt. She's friends are freaking out. They're like, no way. I can't believe you got a Coca-Cola shirt. And she's like, yeah, no big deal. It's just whatevs, right? You know, so proud of this shirt. But then at lunchtime, if, tell me if I'm telling the story wrong, but around lunchtime, her best friend looked at her shirt. And she, at lunch, she's like, Sarah, that's not a Coca-Cola shirt. Sarah's like, oh my gosh, yes, it is too, right? She did never has talked like that. But for this story, she does. She said, yes, it's, it's a Coca-Cola shirt. She's like, no, look, like it's spelled C-O-C-A, right? But she's like, it's C-A-C-A. My beautiful, poor bride at the age of 13 had to spend the rest of the day wearing not a Coca-Cola shirt, but a Coca-Cola shirt. Okay, and that's, I'm, I'm sorry, so she's going through therapy right now, she's working through it, but here's the thing, this is a picture that we see in scripture, these are the people who claim to know God, who represent God, but upon closer inspection, you find out that they're fake, and unfortunately, I think there really is too many Coca-Cola Christians in the world. And when we begin to look at their lives more closely, we realize, man, they're fake. I don't want to be a Coca-Cola Christian, y'all. And it's really a big deal here in Manitou. So the, after these guys, they claim to be followers of God, they fail to have this practical compassion. Jesus then says, then a despised Samaritan came along. Emphasis on despised. And what you got to understand is in Jewish culture, Samaritans were seen on the same level as dogs, okay? And, and with no exaggeration. And so they're filthy, godless, pagan sinners. And Jesus is saying the two people who claimed to follow God did nothing. But then this filthy, pagan sinner comes along. And we're going to find out that he's the hero in the story because he felt compassion on him, Scripture says. He, the, the Samaritan sees the man in the ditch, and it says, when he, the Samaritan, saw the man, he felt compassion for him. For the religious expert to hear the story, this is a very shocking story. It would be like Jesus here today, and he's preaching, which would be really, really exceptional, right? Um, but he's preaching through me today. But imagine Jesus is telling you, guys, there's a story. And there is Dr. Joe Kirkendall, your pastor, and Chris Tomlin, 
and they're both walking down the road and they see someone in need who's been half beaten, bloody, and naked, and they did absolutely nothing. But Jesus goes, but then Kim Kardashian comes walking along and helps out the man. Do you see the shock value of this story? This is what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to jar this guy to realize the point that he's trying to make. So the man goes, Jesus, or the man, the Samaritan goes over. He soothed the man's wounds with olive oil and bandaged them. And he put the man on a donkey and took him to the inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, which is about an equivalent to about three and a half weeks worth of stay at this inn telling him to take care of this man. If his bill run high, runs higher than this, I'll pay you more next time I'm here. Jesus asked this question. Now, which of these would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. He can't even say the word Samaritan, the guy who was nice. Then Jesus said, yes. Manitou, new life Manitou, go do the same. Who is our neighbor, guys? I'd say scripture supports that our neighbor is whoever God puts across your path that you can show God's love and compassion to. That's it. That's your neighbor. Christ has not called us to pre-qualify our neighbors. It should never be determined by race, by religious background, gender, sexual orientation, or how someone votes or what they look like. Now, some of you are like, hold on here. No, but listen to what I'm saying. We can't pre-qualify our neighbor. If God puts someone across our path, our only response as his ambassadors to love them and point them to God. So our neighbor is anyone God puts across our paths, and we could show the love of Jesus in a tangible way. But here's, here's where we're going to go really quickly as we close. Um, when it comes to compassion, I was having breakfast with my friend Brian at Good Karma recently, and we're talking about what, compa- what does compassion really look like, though? And I said that practical compassion, my personal definition of practical compassion, if done right, should almost look wasteful. It should never look like it's been stewarded well. It needs to be extravagant and sloppy and wasteful. True compassion, I think, looks like that because that's the kind of compassion we've gotten from Christ. Practical compassion, I'll tell you, as we close, is inconvenient. Here's what, it, here's what you have to understand about real compassion. It's inconvenient. Opportunities to be compassionate always comes at the worst, most inopportune times. I'm just letting you know, in the story that Jesus shares, you have to understand, all these people were trying to do is to get from point A to point B. No one had on their calendar that day, oh, help out beaten naked guy in the ditch. But these two people, for whatever reason, the representatives of God, they walk right by, but the Samaritan didn't have it on his calendar either. And he allowed the inconvenience to be pushed to the side for the sake of compassion. So I'm telling you, compassion will be inconvenient as we serve here in Manitou Springs. Another thing is practical compassion requires sacrifice. True compassion will always cost you something. It may be your time. It may be your pride. It may be your resources. It may be your emotions. But compassion, as Jesus modeled it, required a sacrificial investment, and he's asking the same of us. Practical compassion, guys, is messy. And I, I think a lot of times before, yeah, I'll speak for myself. I think sometimes in the past, before I reach out to help somebody, 
we're tempted to do like this risk analysis, right? And, and when I begin to ask myself questions like, does this person deserve my help? Oh, no one's ever struggled with that. Okay, all right. Wh or what if this person takes advantage of me? What do you do with that one, right? What if they don't appreciate the help that I give them? So you know what we do? We project this on them, and then we go, no, never mind. I'm not going to help. It's not worth it. Here's what I would say to this, because I really struggle with this one. And I think this is the godly answer to those questions when we begin to debate in our own minds, should I show compassion to this person or not, is this. If we see someone in need, our job is to own our response, not the results. That's all we have to worry about. If they take advantage of us, well, you know what Jesus says, welcome to the club. Right? Practical compassion requires commitment. As ambassadors, we must always not only look to bring a Band-Aid, but the cure. So meeting the needs on the front end is awesome. We should always look to do that, practically speaking. But we always need to seek ways to bring the cure. Not our version of it, but what God would do in us and through us. So we looked at what practical compassion is. But how does this really look the moment we walk out these doors here in about 20 minutes? Starts with love. And the reason why is because Scripture says in 1 Corinthians, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my own body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So if we don't serve from a place of love, it's a, it hurts people's ears. <laughs> and to put it nicely, before we show compassion, we first must have a heart of love. It says, if any of you, if you has a material possession and sees a brother and sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God even be in you? So yeah, you may have the resources, you may be able to write the checks, and that's great, but if it does not come from a place of love, where is your heart? It's about your heart more than your resources. The next thing is we have to begin as a body to begin to pray for opportunities, divine opportunities to show practical compassion. Are you ready to jump in with me? Because when we begin to pray this way, Rest assured, the messiness, the inconvenience, the cost, all these things of showing compassion are going to begin to show up across our path. They're going to begin to walk in through our door here. If we do our job right, this room will not look like this 18 months from now. It needs to look like Manitou Springs. So we need to pray for practical com uh, compassion. May we never forget that we are only new creations because Christ saw our despair and he saw our brokenness, our wounds. Psalms 147 says that he heals the brokenhearted and he bandages our wounds. Jesus is the Samaritan in this story. But not only is he the Samaritan, he became the victim because Isaiah 53 says it was our weaknesses that he carried, it was our sorrows that weighed him down, and he, we thought his troubles were punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But guys, listen to this. Don't get distracted. Jesus was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole, and he was whipped so that we could be healed. And because of his experience, taking the place of the victim, on our behalf so that we could live, 
my righteous servant Jesus will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. And that is the only reason why we have any hope today is because of this scene that we just saw in Isaiah 53. How can we not be people of compassion? We've got to be accountability. And so I'm going to shut up preaching, but recently the verse, our North Star for New Life Manitou that God is beginning to show us is Micah. It's Micah 6, 8, and it says this, God has told you, old man, what is good and what the Lord really wants from you. So if we're trying to figure out the vision, what is God's vision for Manitou? What is God's vision for your role with New Life Manitou? You know what he wants us to do? He wants us to promote justice. He wants us to be faithful. And he wants us to live obediently before him. If we do these things, this tag of hypocrite, this tag of us versus them, this, this, all these tags that people are wanting to put upon us, they remove. And they go, well, you know what? I may not ever go to that church, but here's what I've learned about New Life Manitou. They really love this community. They may never believe what we believe, but you know what? It is only God that reveals that truth. It's not our, there's a Savior. We're not Him, right? If we earn the right to share this simple message, come back to God, like we just opened up reading, if we earn the right to say that, you know what? If we do our jobs right, you know what's going to happen? They're going to go, you know what? I do believe Jesus loves me, and here's why. I've experienced it through you. I believe it to be real. And so why don't we bow and pray? Holy Spirit, would you convict us? And boy, it's easy to yell into a microphone for 25 minutes, but God, help me to continue to live this out in a way that's authentic and not fake. May our church not be known for what it could be, but known for what you want it to be. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that shines the light of compassion and justice and mercy and faithfulness to you. For the glory of your name and for the sake of your love and compassion for us. In Jesus' name, amen.